Let's open our Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our study through this great and marvelous book. Ephesians chapter 2 and we're down into about verse number 11. We've been talking about our theme, the theme encapsulated in three words in this study, to sit, to walk, and then to stand. We're still in the sitting stage, guys. We haven't made it past sitting yet. And today we're going to talk a little bit about sitting together. So let's look at uh, chapter 2 and verse number 11. It says, Therefore remember, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done by... Uh, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from God or from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He's talking to the, the folks that were Gentiles by birth. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the the passage starts with an injunction to remember. Therefore remember that you were formerly, who were called Gentiles, were called uncircumcised. And remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. There's a lot of good value in remembering. from a spiritual standpoint, that's one of the ideas and one of the concepts behind journaling is that it allows you to remember. We, we, uh, we don't all have excellent memories and we don't remember all the details. And it's very easy when you go into another season of challenge to forget how faithful God has been in the previous seasons. And, and remembering the value of it, in part, it deepens the humility of the saints, Uh, lest we get all caught up in who we are and what we think we are, all that in a bag of chips kind of thing. The truth of the matter is remembering where we've come from, what God's brought us through, the blessings of God, maybe our our own foibles and our own failures. That helps with the humility thing. It also, remembering, tends to make us more grateful. When we remember God's blessings, when we list them, um, a few weeks ago, I was headed somewhere in my car, and um, I was driving, and, and I said, Lord, I just want to spend this time driving, just 
just talking about all the blessings that I can think of that are active in my life right now. And it was like a 20-minute drive, and it went by in a minute and a half. I mean, I, I just I, I couldn't believe I was there. Just just recounting blessings, remembering those is a is a as healthy thing to do. When we remember, it sometimes inspires us too. Oh, I could do that. Gee, I can I, I can remember when I was first married, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. I remember how hard it was to get this or to get that. You know, now if if you want an appliance, you hit you know your Amazon icon and punch a button, and that appliance is coming to your house. But back then. If you wanted a Dutch oven, it might have taken you a while. And, and you might have to sweet talk your mother-in-law or somebody into helping you get it. You remember these things and it inspires you to, oh, I could reach out. I could help in that way. Remembering helps us to, to be more hopeful. Oh, okay, it won't always be like this, whatever it is that season. So when he says to remember, it's a healthy thing. Now, what he's really talking about here, and maybe some background will help, is the ongoing hostility that occurred in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles, between those who were from the race that was chosen by God to be his people and who, who for the most part, were the members of the early churches and the Gentile believers who were not of that race but nonetheless had been invited into their churches into because of the gospel and now here sits a church full of jews and gentiles culturally so different their family backgrounds so different their their activities so different their spiritual backgrounds so different now if you remember when when jesus uh, died buried was resurrected and ascended into heaven the church that began in the city of jerusalem was almost exclusively jews and they were they were they were multiplying unbelievably. Um, a quick read of the book of Acts will give you that overflow. But but right there, right in the first few chapters of Acts, it talks about Peter got up and three thousand people got saved, and somebody else preached, or he preached again, and somebody else five thousand people got saved. And and the scripture says in Acts two that daily they were adding to the church. Well, primarily they were adding Jews, and they would have sat there in Jerusalem, kind of you know, us full and no mo kind of thing, except for what? What happened to the church in Jerusalem? Persecution. And when persecution hit, now they had to scatter. And when they scattered, they took the gospel with them. And suddenly now, it's not just a Jewish audience. There are, there are Gentiles, those who they're coming into contact with, who are putting their faith and trust in this Jesus. And now what do we do? Again, I look at the book of Acts. When we get to Acts chapter 8, Philip, one of the early leaders there in the church in Jerusalem, he, he's told to go down and talk to this man who's, who's a eunuch from Ethiopia. So he apparently was in charge of his master's harem, and they castrated him. He, he's come up to uh, Israel for some reason, we don't know, probably trading or something in, in Jerusalem, and he's on his way back, and Philip has an encounter with him, talks to him, and he's reading the scripture. He said, do you, do you get what you're reading? And he goes, no, somebody needs to help me. And, and, and Philip does the explaining, and suddenly the Ethiopian eunuch puts his faith and trust in Jesus. So, yeah, I get it. And when he gets it, he points to a puddle of water and says, well, don't you want to baptize me? And you see, in, in, that, in that day and age, the, 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 the focus would have been on, well, wait a minute, we've we got to make you look like a Jew. Okay, that means circumcision. Oh, that's not possible in your case. 
gee, what do we do? And the scripture is very clear that he did did get baptized. He was he was joined up to, connected with that early church. Then you go a couple of chapters later, and 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 Peter has that vision. You remember the one about the sheets and all the dirty animals? Dirty meaning uh, not clean according to the ceremonial law. And 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 the message that Peter gets out of that is okay. We got to give the gospel to people that are not just of a Jewish background. And then fast forward a couple of more chapters. Paul or Saul becomes Paul. He gets saved. God gives him an incredible ministry. Eventually, his church sends him out on what we know to be the first missionary journey. And where do they go? They go to new cities. And when they go to the new cities, yeah, they'll start with a group of Jews. But pretty soon thereafter, Paul's out there preaching to the Gentiles. And so a church like Ephesus is a mixed bag, but they're not really mixing. You know, there's there's Jews and then there's Gentiles. There's the Jews that have put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Gentiles who have put their faith in Christ as their Savior. And they're in a body, but they're not really. The, 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 the message that Paul's trying to send to this church in, in Ephesus is, wait a minute, you have been reconciled into one body. One one group. Now, before I get into to, to some more details about that, I want to want to talk about that word Jews and the word Gentiles. Um, the uh, to be a Jewish person, you had to be a descendant through through the line of Abraham. So, back to the book of Genesis, you go to chapter twelve and, and his his covenantal relationship with God, repeated in chapter fifteen. So, so God says, hey, I'm choosing you, Abraham, to be the father of many nations. And, and through you, your, your lineage is going to be a people that I'm going to call my people. And my people are going to be in a special covenant relationship. And that covenant was repeated then to his son Isaac, and from Isaac repeated to Jacob, and from Jacob repeated to his, his sons. And, and one of his sons was Judah, and out of the tribe of Judah came that line from which Jesus was going to come. When the, when the covenant was repeated, for example, to Moses, when he's telling Pharaoh, uh, I want you to you know, let, let the people go, the emphasis is let my people go. God has established a special covenant relationship with the children that come from that descent. Now, the word Jew is not really a biblical word, although it shows up. It had to do with the location, the location of, of the name of Judah. And the Latin for it got translated into the French, and the French was Juju. And out of that became a more modern word that we use for, for Jews. Israelites is a better term from a, from a Bible perspective, but we use that in our culture. And same way the word Gentiles, it's kind of a mush-up thing, an Old Testament word of goy, G-O-Y, which just means nations, and a New Testament word, which is ethnos, from which we get ethnicity, uh, also meaning nations, and they jammed it together. The Latin version of that word was gentilis, and out of that became the word Gentiles. So we have these two groups, the citizens of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, that were chosen and set apart, as opposed to uh, what, what Jesus talks about being grafted in, and if you know anything about grafting, and I didn't know a whole lot about it, but, but it's that ability to take you know, um, a, a vine of one kind of grape and a, and a vine of another kind of grape, and the way they put those two vines together and they tie them together, pretty soon it becomes a, a new shoot, a new vine. In, in, the, in the book of John, he talks about how the Gentiles have been grafted in to the, to the lineage or the line of, of those special people. Now, we should stop a second and ask ourselves, why the Jews? 
why did God choose Abraham and his descendants to call them my people, to give them a special covenant relationship? I want you to turn to a couple of passages. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy is where we're headed. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Why did he choose them? Was they was it because they were smarter, better looking, more of them, stronger, more talented? Why did he choose them? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and look at verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the hand of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him. Now, why did he choose them? Because of something inherent in them? No, because of his great love. They were, they were an object lesson. He plucked them out and used them as a picture of how he wants to have a similar covenant relationship. Ours is the new covenant through the blood of Jesus, but a new covenant relationship with his people who choose him. Look over in chapter 9, same book, Deuteronomy, and he repeats this kind of idea. Chapter 9, look at verse 4. Uh, four. He says, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, these are the, the, the guys in the promised land, do not say to yourself, well, the Lord brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness, because I'm more spiritual than these other people. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to go in and take the, the possession of the land. So if you were thinking that maybe you were something special and that's why God allowed you to come to understand the new covenant and put your faith and trust in Jesus, sorry. He is using Israel as an example of the kind of relationship he intend, intends to have with his people. That's why when we talk about Christianity being a, a Sunday morning kind of activity, a thing we do every now and then, an identification with a you know, the idea of whatever, uh, we're different. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a Mormon, so I guess I'm a Christian. The Christian thing is so much more than that. When God in, in the book of Revelation repeats once again, and he does it many times in the Bible, you are my people called by my name. I, I, I am identifying with you. You identify with me. This is a relationship. This is something special. Well the, well, the Jews understood that, but it wasn't because of anything they did. It was because of his love. Now, the Gentiles, on the other hand, the Bible in the Old Testament referred to them as ger, foreigners, sojourners, people who came and lived in Israel. Maybe they, they did commerce. They came through and did trading. But they were not, they were not natural uh, citizens. They were not of the tribes. They were not the, 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 these people. So what about these guys? How was Israel supposed to treat them? Well, look at Leviticus chapter 19. Go, go left just a book or so and go to the book of Leviticus chapter 19. So you might think that Israel would say, yeah, fine, here they are, whatever, but we are God's people. 
And I want you to look starting in verse 33. Leviticus 19.33 When a foreigner, when a gur, resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourselves. You remember anything in the New Testament about love others as yourself? Hmm. Love them as yourselves, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The basis on which they were to look at the at the Gentiles, those who were not born of the Jewish race, the, the way they were supposed to look at them was, was through eyes of love and to treat them as they treated each other. There's a message there. There's a, there's a message for us in 21st century America. Yes, uh, these Gentiles were, were born outside of the covenant relationship, but in Genesis 12, when he's talking to, the, to Abraham about this blessing of becoming uh, a, a, a covenant partner, he said, all the nations of the world are to be blessed through you. It is natural and normal that when you hear a, a need, guys need socks, that you ought to beat feed it to, to Kmart today and grab a bunch of socks. Because that's how it works. When we hear of a need, we're supposed to respond. You say, well, how much am I supposed to respond? You're supposed to respond until you've got nothing left to respond with. You know? We, we're supposed to look at these folks and bless them because, the, because they were to remember, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, our people were in captivity. Yeah, 400 years, wasn't it, in, in Egypt? Yeah, it was awful. They were slay, Oh, mistreated, beaten, killed. Oh, work, terrible. Oh, yeah, we were, oh, yeah, that was awful. That was awful. We shouldn't treat them that way. When we look at people in our community, like we were trying to teach the kids last week, who are our neighbors, we need to remember, we weren't always where we are now. You didn't always live in Ladera Ranch. You didn't. You didn't. You know, I, we were joking with some friends last, last weekend about early meals and our parents some of us coming from families where we learn to cook and some of us not and i can remember in my first apartment i lived for probably i don't know six months on on uh bags of rice that i learned how to boil and cans of denty moore stew which i would heat up and pour over the rice and that was breakfast lunch and dinner for forever i i guess it's equivalent would be Top ramen today or something, you know. There, there were not days when you had what you have at your disposal today, and it's healthy to remember, because maybe that person over here doesn't doesn't have, and that's a good time to oh, how could I help? See, Paul describes these Gentiles as being during one time or excuse me or another that they were without hope, they were without God in the world, they were far away. They, they weren't raised in a culture that, that gave them a direction and a sense and a purpose and a focus. He, he contrasts circumcision and uncircumcision, which was just a physical sign. Everywhere Jewish men went, there was an immediate identification. Oh, yeah, you're, 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 you're from Israel. Yeah, oh, okay, got it. You're one of those. The, the Gentiles did not have a ready sign to identify they were, they were apart. They were set aside. They were looked at as second-class citizens. I, I dropped a note into your, your study because it just made me think of it when I was, when I was studying. You know, if you looked at the, at the temple 
Um, or, or the tabernacle for that matter. But this is a picture of the temple. This is Herod's temple, the big great one. And, and, and it's just a, a diagram, really. But I wanted you to see something. So the really dark parts, that, that's the, the holy place where only the high priest could go. And then the little room in front of it is, is the room where the, the other priest could go in, the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And they'd go in and keep the, the candles burning and the incense burning and, and so on and so forth. And then if, if you keep coming out from that, you're going to see the court of Israel. So Jewish men could get that close. And then if you keep coming south or come, keep coming out of that, you're going to see the women's court. We're on the outskirts. But, but where is the court of the Gentiles? Way out there. They could come to the temple, but they couldn't get anywhere near the stuff that's really going on. They're stuck to the, out, to the outskirts. So what Paul's saying now to this church in Ephesus, go back to the book of, uh, of Ephesians, is a very clear message of, wait a minute, you guys are supposed to be brought together. In fact, the amplified version of part of this, of this message, I put it in your notes, it says, in him, the whole structure of the church body is joined, it's bound, it's welded together harmoniously. And it continues to rise or grow and increase into a holy temple in the Lord, a sanctuary that's dedicated, consecrated, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. These Gentiles, he's describing them, they've been brought near. You know, they're... The, 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 it's not an external or a, a dispensational or a national or a geographic or a ceremonial nearness, but it's a spiritual nearness. And, and, and there's not supposed to be this divide in this body of Christ. He says in verse 14 of, of our passage that there's been a, a barrier just, uh, destroyed, something to, you know chopped down between the Israelites and the Gentiles. And that barrier is both a spiritual barrier, but I would suggest to, to you as well, it's a cultural barrier. There are barriers in churches, and there should not be. He says in verses 14, 15, and 17, that Christ is our peace. Two kinds of peace come from, from worshiping Jesus Christ. One is inner peace. That which you and I rely on for, for everyday activities, everything that we need. There is an inner peace from, from having a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there is also an outward peace. And that's the absence of rancor. Our churches ought to be places that are, that are safe, that are warm, that are encouraging, that are inclusive, that bring in and notice, hey, nice to see you. I, I, I told an illustration yesterday, and it's a good one on me, and you can laugh at me, but maybe there might be something similar to you. But, but way back in the, in the 70s, I, I went to that very conservative Baptist church, you know, and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church services, we were dressed to the nines. No woman ever wore pants. It was nylons, pumps, uh, scarves. We didn't wear hats, but short of hats, everything else was there. And, and we sang hymns, which I love. I dearly love hymns. But, but there was a new music that was coming on the scene. All the Calvary stuff, all the choruses. And, and, and I longed for, for a little bit of sweetness. And so what I used to do, Barb and I used to do, we used to sneak out on Thursday nights. 
And we would go down to Calvary. Back then we called it Big Calvary. And we go down to Big Calvary, and I can remember as clear as if it was yesterday, walking in that back door, I walked over on the left-hand side, and I sat down in one of those pews, and then the kids started all arriving. And, and there were seats on pews, but they were not choosing the seats. They were all just flopping all over the floor. Half of them didn't have shoes. Half of them were still wet. They'd just come in from surfing. I remember a guy sat down next to me. He had wet hair, and he smelled like salt. And then they began the service. And it was just... It was like, oh, wow, okay. And so then we started sneaking out every Thursday night to go down there. Just, just to be in an environment that was different than the one we were in and, and a little taste of, of inclusion. See, Paul's purpose of all of this discussion with this church in Ephesus is to say, wait a minute, there's supposed to be reconciliation. There's supposed to be a oneness here, one humanity, one body, one household of faith. And, and it's built on the foundation, and he specifically says prophets and apostles, Old Testament and New Testament. And he says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Now, we don't have many cornerstones in our culture because we're stucco buildings. But if you go back east or anywhere else where they build with stone, You'll notice as they start to put a building up, they put in the corner at the foundational level a cornerstone. And if it's not placed just exactly right, the whole building will fall down because it has to be level and angled properly. He uses that as an illustration saying Jesus is that cornerstone. That which holds our church bodies together is not our culture that we all got cute little white faces or we all live in Ladera or we all have a certain income level. It's Jesus Christ that's the cornerstone. And therefore, lots of people ought to be able to come and go in our body. They have access to the Father in one spirit. There's not one for you and one for you and one for you. There's not a baptism for these guys and a baptism for those guys. He keeps using the term one. Built together as a building in which God lives by his spirit. How many of you used to play with Lincoln Logs? You remember Lincoln Logs? Good. Well, there was a program on TV. I think it was last week. I watched it. Uh, I want to live in a log cabin. That's kind of my dream in life is to have a log cabin. And they were building a log cabin without nails. So what they did is they took the, the logs that had already been all, you know, whatever, to make them all round, and then they notched them, just like, like uh, Lincoln Logs. And so they'd roll them across until the notches fit each other, and they'd go kathunk, and they'd sit down in those notches. And then they'd come up on top and drill a hole, and then they have dowling rods, about whatever the size of the hole was, and they'd pound the dowling rod down between the two logs, and then, if necessary, poured a little cement in it. And that thing was held together without nails. That's the picture that he's using. This building is fit together. Kadunk, kadunk. It works. Me there, you there, him there, those there, the guy that didn't smell good, he's there. Boom, he fits. In such a way that that mixture, that they are so mixed that nobody can tell the difference. When we were worshiping this kid and I, Thursday after Thursday, pretty soon there was no, there was no difference between the two of us. We were just worshiping Jesus. There was no... He was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, spent his entire day, if he could, surfing, showed up to worship God on Thursday night because he loved Jesus. And me, uh, da, 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 da. No, there was no, there was no divide. I found myself at times with my hand on his shoulder while we're worshiping. He'd always give me a hug on the way out. 
No difference. Now I want I want I want you to think about your church experience. Is it is it is it fit together or is it pretty much all of us the same? And and I would challenge the attitude that starts in our hearts. Not that it starts at church. It starts in our individual hearts. What what divides us as a people? Lots of things. I, I threw some down. Race divides us. Well, you say, well, not in California. No, not as much. Although we look down our noses at some people groups. But move to the south. I got to go see my dad next month in Mobile, Alabama. It's not my favorite place to go to. I do not like the attitudes. I do not like the divides. I spent most of my life in California. And I told you before, when I was in school in Hawaii, 52 kids in my classroom, three of us had white faces. <laughs> the 49 other folks, they were a nice mixture, as you would expect in Hawaii. I learned to be on that end of the stick. I was the minority. I was the odd man out. I, I, you know, but I wasn't treated that way because in that culture, it's so mixed, nobody can tell them apart. That's a perfect picture of what the church is supposed to be like. Can't tell people apart. We divide ourselves by culture. Oh, they eat funny things. When they cook, it smells funny. We divide ourselves in, in, uh, in, in, in relationship to our income. Well, there's the South County people, and then there's the North County people. And what we're saying is, people got money, people don't have money. And our churches tend to reflect that. What about language? Have you ever found yourself in a store, or maybe a place of business, and they're speaking in another language, usually Spanish in our area, and you go, and they're laughing, and you think to yourself, are they talking about me? I think they're making fun of me. I don't like it. Why don't you speak English? Come on. We're in in America. Speak English. Last Wednesday, uh, the gal that came from Unidos here in town, she's the mother of the kids that that were the examples we were talking about, and and she was speaking to me in pretty halting English. but, But she was doing it. And I commended her. I said, this was before we went in there. I said, I'm really impressed, man. I, my languages, I talked about my horribleness with languages, and I said, I'm just impressed. But I was thinking later. Look, she's, a, she's in her late 40s, early 50s, I would bet. Got a passel of kids. She's working two jobs, I think two. Might, from time to time, be three. At 50-some-odd years of age, and you had a passel of kids that you were responsible for just to get food on the table, how much time do you think you have to go to English as a second language classes? Not so much. So, so, so why am I reacting when someone speaks in another language? Maybe get off my duff and go learn another language? Or at least have some compassion? Some sensitivity? What about world view? And, uh, call it politics. So last week, some among you were very happy. Some among you were not so happy. We, we have an interesting op- op- opinion about politics. Let me, let me give you a, a statement. One of the guys that was here, the gentleman that, that came from a Union Rescue Mission, he was talking about the attitude of believers to the homeless. And he said, Sherry, I'm going to tell you, he's a pastor. 
I've known him for 40 some odd years. Um, he said, if you are a committed Christian, if you are a, a man or woman who understands God's word and is committed to Christ, understands uh, the scriptures, and you live in Los Angeles, you are a Democrat. You are a Democrat because you are concerned about issues that you face every day. When you come out of your townhome or your apartment, there are homeless people everywhere. And you have a, 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 a perspective, a set of glasses that go on as a believer to, 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 to look at, this is a problem. We need to, we need to get involved here. There, there needs to be some things for, for believers to do. He said, but if you are a committed Christian, again, mature, understand God's word, committed to him as, his, as your Lord and Savior, and you live in South County, you are a Republican. Because you don't have to deal with that issue. When you step out of your house in the morning, there is no issue. And so the, the, the dichotomy of where the perspective is, still people of faith, deep, committed, understanding God's word, but on opposite ends of the spectrum. You ever think about that? I remember, uh, uh, this has been, gosh, 25 years ago, my sister-in-law, who had come to Christ out of a pretty liberal background, she, she's one of those that, um, she's been a, 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 a Democratic uh, representative to their convention. You know, holds the sign, screams and hollers, California votes so many, whatever. She, she was one of those. And, and she looked at me one day and she said, can you explain to me how Christians can ignore the poor? Gut punch. No, I cannot. What does the Bible say is pure religion? If I'm not mistaken, I think it's in James. Excuse me, in, uh, yeah, in James. He says pure religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. You want to talk about having a religion that works? It's a religion who cares for those that are less fortunate. But we drive by a guy at Costco with a sign out, and we evaluate his tennis shoes and tell him to get a job in our heart. And when those folks might show up at our church, first off, they're likely not to, because there's a sense, mm, this is for us, this is not for you. I said to my group last night, which is from my church, what would it be like on a given Sunday morning, and I don't know how this would ever happen, it was an absurd illustration, but it was an illustration, uh, a group of, of, of transgender folks, uh, trans transvestites, decided to stop by and come into 10 o'clock service. And they were being affectionate with each other, so it was very noticeable of what their background was. <laughs> What's church going to be like? Personally, what am I? What am I thinking? When we get up and we're supposed to mix and mingle and shake hands and say welcome and so good to see you, so who's heading over there? You're all about as quiet as it's been the last two days teaching this lesson. It is confrontive, is it not? We need to think about these things. We divide things by sin. Someone comes in, and somehow or another, there's an identification of them. What, what if a bunch of the homeless guys came in? And, and <laughs> at the Union Rescue Mission, the green chairs, so they're out of the green chairs. You know, they're, they're wanting transformation, so they come to church. So there they are. What, what are we all thinking? Yeah, I don't know. 
You think he's gonna stay on the wagon? I don't know. Doesn't look like. It doesn't smell like it. You sure? I don't know. So we're 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 dividing by sin. So his sin is worse than my sin. No, mine's inside. You can't smell mine, right? You can't necessarily see it, but it's there. So is yours. Why would we? Why would we divide up? Because of, of sin. What we divide up by, by age. Those old fogies, they have their little get togethers. Isn't it sweet? Be nice to them. They're slow. Oh, they're so slow. <laughs> when I'm driving along, I admittedly am a bit of an assertive driver. I don't like that word aggressive. Assertive driver. <laughs> and I come bipping around somebody that's doing exactly 65. I always turn to look. I'm anticipating as I say in my heart, an old geezer. Well, I turned 70 this year. So so what's an old geezer? So I'm an old geezer with a lead foot. But in church, don't we kind of divide up? Well, that's for the young people. Or we sit in church and somebody's got a baby with them and we say to ourselves, what are they doing bringing that baby in here? They're, they're interrupting my, my worship. Well, maybe she's been up six nights in a row. And the kid finally got quiet. And she thinks she's got a moment to be in charge. And we're over here silently giving her that, you know, babies belong in the nursery. Or they forget to dismiss the junior high kids on a, on a given Sunday. And those little squirrels are doing what junior high kids do. And we're all looking down our noses at them going, mm, junior high. I, I asked in the two groups I was teaching yesterday... How many of them were unmarried in between the ages of 19 and 33, which is the new young adult group that they're starting at church? One, one, one gal out of 100 represented that group in those two Bible studies. I said, guys. Now, I realize that, you know, morning, maybe their young adults are out working or something. I get that, but not all. Why are they not included in this group? No, this group is for the... You know, 30 to 40 year old group, got kids, don't work, outside the homework can arrange their schedule, blah, 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 blah. This is for us. No, it's not. Do you personally have friends all up and down the age span? Friday night, uh, Barb and I invited uh, uh, three, three folks over that are all in their 30s. And Barb goes, they're not going to want to be with us. I said, Barb, the issue is be fun. It doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> so we had them over to the house. We had a nice dinner and we played games. And, and it was raucous and we were all laughing and teasing each other. And I, and I thought later, if somebody walked by our house, they are not going to go, oh, there's two old geezers and then there were three millennials. Oh, my, how did they get along? They would have just seen a group of people having a great time together. That's what Paul's talking about. So, so what do we do about it? I'm going to give you six little personal things to consider doing. Number one, go home and look in the mirror. And remember. Remember that you are a sinner too. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And my personal favorite is in Isaiah 64.6. It's the, it's the verse that says all of the stuff that we think is our righteousness, when God looks at it, he's looking at a rag that women use once a, once a month. That's how cool our good stuff is. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. 
and we ain't. And if you go take a long look in the mirror and, and remember your own nature, the, the things that set you aside, it's just not visible to everyone, it will make you far more inclusive. Just remember. Remember what it was like when you had little kids. Or remember what it was like when you weren't married and everybody else was. And they were all having a gay time. You know, Friday night's a Valentine's party and it's all the young couples. I didn't get invited. Oh, my nose is bumped. Isn't, isn't there a, an opportunity there if you take a long look and remember? Second thing is, evaluate your own reactions in light of the gospel, not in light of a political agenda, not in light of a financial uh, a bracket, not in light of a place where we live, but in light of the gospel. What, what are our responsibilities? Let's just keep those refugees out. How many of you came from a family, a refugee family situation? Any of you in here? None of us. So how can we have a heart for refugees? Well, let's go meet some. Let's reach out. Let's find a ministry somewhere that's ministering. There's, there's a really good one in Anaheim that's doing a lot of outreach, particularly to Muslim women. How about that? Let's go, let's go help them get through a grocery store. Yeah, but they don't believe like we do. No, they don't. They don't speak our language. They eat funny smelling stuff. I admit it. Well, what a blessing we could be to show up and take this lady to the grocery store. So evaluate our own reactions in the light of the gospel. Not in the light of what happened last week in our political arena. But in light of the gospel. Exercise some patience with people. This one's for me. I put this one in for me. I am not very patient. You know, I, I, I need to be more patient. Not, not just with the, the sweet little geezer that's driving 65 miles an hour on the freeway, but, but in every area of my life, a little more patient. A little more patient with the mom that's having trouble with her kids. A little more patient with the elderly. A little more patient with someone that doesn't speak my language. A little more patient who doesn't think or feel the same way I do. The fourth one is, and in this one applies to most of you because you've still got kids in your home, teach your children to ignore differences, not to accent them. So if you walk up and somebody's sitting in a wheelchair, a kid's natural inclination is to say rather loudly, Mommy, why is she sitting in that chair? Okay, so you got a choice now. you got a naturally curious kid who's not being rude, necessarily but hopefully not who's just curious and you got you got me sitting in a wheelchair what are you gonna do shh, shh, shh. i'll tell you when we get in the car <laughs> you laugh because that's what all of us have done i'm still sitting here i'm hearing it all how about if you turned and said excuse me ma'am my daughter's just asked a question. I don't think she needs anything by it except curiosity. Would you mind if, if I answered her? What do you think I'm going to say? No. So she, she, as a parent, you turn and you say, well, for some reason her legs are not able to let her walk like all of us, and the chair makes it easier for her to get around. Probably what's going to happen is I'm going to say, yes, as a matter of fact, I've had some surgeries and da-da-da-da-da. Now, your kid gets a full explanation. The, the lady is not 
wounded emotionally or feeling bad. You've been able to have a, a nice conversation with someone and you move on. When I'm in an airport, I always let them run me around with a, with a wheelchair. And I am astonished at how people treat me when I'm sitting in that chair. So astonished, I almost always get angry. I'm really angry. I want to jump up and go, hey, I'm a real person. Normally, I don't have to sit in this, but I didn't hear because I got an IQ of da 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 da. I ran da 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 da. I lived da da I owned da 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 da. That's what happens inside of me. So, what do you think about someone that's stuck in it all the time, or has a speech impediment, or is blind, or anything else? Teach your children to ignore those differences and treat people like people. Now, every now and then, somebody's going to be a sourpuss and not want to help you with that. But generally, I don't think that's true. Number five, build relationships with people that are different than you. Make it your goal. My goal for 2020 was to go find somebody that I could help uh, teach them English. Like that, that's how I know about that refugee center. And I have already been to one ministry and tried to hook up and it didn't work. So I'm on a quest. You say, well, gee, why do you want to teach them English? Because it's a way to develop a relationship with someone that's really different than me. Find and build relationships with people that are not like you. You're not the same age group. Maybe they don't speak the same language. They don't have the same culture. Find somebody somewhere. Reach out. If, if you're on the other end, Lindy and us, you're on the other end. We don't have kids at home now. Go find somebody that's 22 and got three kids and doesn't have a clue what to do. What a perfect thing to do. Or, or any number of other things. But build, go find and build some relationships. And lastly, vow. Make a vow before God on the car on your way home today. I am going to live in grace. I am going to look at church as a one family kind of activity. That the body of Christ is us, not us and them. Whoever them is. I am not going to allow myself to have a us and and them in attitude. Turn with me to Psalm 133. Most of the psalms were, of course, sung. They were songs. And Psalm 133 could be the anthem of Paul's message to, to the Ephesians and certainly could be our anthem as we interact with this material. Psalm 133, verse number... Well, all three of them, actually. There's three verses in that, in that uh, Psalm. 133. He says this. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. What's it like? Well, it's like precious oil poured on the head and it's running down on the beard. It's running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew that might hit Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is a high mountain in the north part of, of Israel. And, it, and, and that, that, that wonderful, refreshing dew made it all the way to the south part where Mount Zion was, and it's falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord blesses or bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Jews, Gentiles, black, white, tall, short, English speaker, non-English speaker, folks from here, folks from there, young, old, 
Let's live in some unity, all right? Let's pray. Father, this is a, a lesson that is so applicable. Every single one of us can take the next 20, 30 minutes and think this through and find areas in our life where we need to make changes. That we need to have an attitude of reaching out, of reaching across, of pulling in, not, not pushing aside. And Father, I pray that this week you'll give us opportunities to do just that. To not feel the incredible divide that is in our culture right now. Yes, there are honest differences and honest differences of, of ways to do things. But they should not divide us. And certainly God's people cannot be like that. Help us to, to apply this message this week. In Jesus' name, amen.